Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. What's up, Fungal Associates? Welcome to Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Alex Croson. I'm a sitting. I'm a sitting alongside. I like how you talk that way. <laughs> good. The good old boy, Casey Clapp. No, 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 That's not a good me. old boy. That has a bad connotation. Oh, does it? I oh, think shoot. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. I'm just a good young boy. The good young chap, Casey Clapp. Good day. This is Casey. Hi, Case. Hi, Alex. How how are you? I know this is a loaded question. <laughs> uh, I'm very ill. You sound nice, though. So, if anything, your voice is not uh, is not been party to the illness. No, it's yeah. it's giving me a nice round, uh, low energy quality. Yeah. Have you thought about writing uh, like sad love songs? Uh, Casey, I'm I'm way ahead of you. What? <laughs> I've been Alex? doing that for years. <laughs> ah, all right, good. <laughs> this is your moment to go down to Folsom Prison. <laughs> Sing a little bit. Kick some light bulbs. Yeah. All right. <laughs> what is that referencing? <laughs> Why would you kick a light bulb? <laughs> Didn't Johnny Cash when he performed at Folsom Prison? Didn't he kick a light bulb? Did, oh, I don't on know. The stage or something. Oh, I don't okay, know. maybe. I, I just have a. I have this picture in my head of an image taken. I have an image in my head of a picture taken. Oh, okay. Of Johnny Cash kicking a light bulb, spraying glass in everybody's face. Yeah, and they're just like, yeah, yeah, all right. They love it. For some reason, whenever I picture that, like, I, there was a scene I think in in uh, Walk the Line. Do you remember that movie? Oh, sure. Yes. I I think I remember that scene, and I'm thinking like, yeah. I, I think that's the scene I'm thinking of, but my brain constantly like says, no, 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 no. The scene you're thinking of, and then it flashes back to uh, the producers by... Uh, Mel Brooks. Yeah, Mel Brooks. Mm-hmm. And the movie version of it uh-huh. ends with them all like in prison, like putting together a prison musical, I think. Oh, yes. <laughs> that's... that's that Sing Sing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sing 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 Sing. Yes. Or whatever. Yeah. That, that's what I... Oh, That's funny. what I, I, I think about all the time. Is like those two guys wearing like the the prison stripes, and I'm just like, yeah, that was that was Johnny Cash, right? You just conflate it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just, I'm not sure they're the same. I just finished that season of uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, where Mel Mel Brooks gets Larry to be Leo, uh, not Leopold Bloom, uh, Bialish, Bialystok. Ah, Bialystok. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I don't think I've, I haven't seen that show, obviously, but it's a good season of television. Yeah, all right. There's sounds... a bit of a twist at the end. Do you mind if I oh, tell you the well. twist? Yeah, yeah. Spoiler alert, everyone. Turn off your your show when when did this come out oh years and years and years okay because i was like isn't there a a certain um statute of limitations yes thank you spoilers yeah Yeah, there should be yeah it's like spoiler alert the titanic sinks right you know it's like everyone's like oh why'd you say that uh this spoiler alert frankly dear he doesn't give a damn yeah exactly it's like what oh my god i thought that he cared for her (laughs) 
<laughs> this whole time. <laughs> what was your what was your spoiler? Uh, well, that uh, so Mel Brooks gets Larry David to be in this play, right? And okay. he's a disaster, and he's yeah. not getting you know it ruins everybody's life or whatever. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, it's revealed that Mel Brooks is pulling a producers. He's trying to sink the show so he doesn't oh, have to do it anymore. My God, and using Larry as his <laughs> as his dead weight. It's pretty brilliant. Oh, I love that. But the the, the double twist is that Larry does fantastic and the show is a huge hit, just oh, like the of producers. Course. Of course. And Mel Brooks is just like, oh my God. Yeah, it's fa- it's a fantastic season of television. I've just yeah. spoiled it for everybody. Hey, it's fine with me. Uh, Casey, unfortunately, we're not here to talk about television, although I would no. love that. Uh, we are here to talk about a tree. As we do every week, and this week, that's right. The tree we are destined to talk about is the shag bark hickory. Alex, I'm so excited about this shag bark hickory. I'm I'm intrigued. I've never once heard of it. I know nothing okay. about it. I know okay. I know that hickories exist. That is correct. Hickories do exist. I, I love the name. It's a really good way. To, it's a good point. Thank you. Yeah, hickories. Uh, they are they are Alex a tree that I think everyone like knows about but like half the people in the world don't know anything about does that make any sense say that say that again so everyone like if you say hickory like it the name rings like like you're saying car yes everyone knows what it is right but if you actually ask him like now what is a hickory most people i think are like hmm you know i'm not sure right unless you live on the east coast in which case you probably actually know pretty well i i'm a, yeah i most associate hickory with wood of course. yes yeah that's used fair. in smoking meats and such mm-hmm. uh, baseball bats yeah hickory bat yeah that's the uh the old louisville slugger isn't it? it's made with hickory uh yeah or ash did we did we look this up one time i think we did i thought it was hickory hmm, hmm. I know. I think drumsticks sometimes are used with hickory. There's really no way to tell. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna attempt. Well, Casey, let's imagine as we do every episode that you and I are are strolling. Maybe you're pushing me in a wheelchair and with a with a blanket over my lap. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm take, so take sick. Take me outside, Casey. I've got the consumption. Uh, and we're we're strolling through a a park or whatever. Who gives yeah. a shit? And we come across some hickories. <laughs> Uh, Casey, let's ID this treat. Oh, let's do it. First, I'm going to be like, Alex, I need you to pay attention for this, okay? <laughs> this is extremely important. You're just looking at the birds. I'm on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> so the hickory is, uh, it's, it's in the genus Caria. The scientific name is Caria ovata. And hmm. what's important about that is ovata, I think, is, is relating to the leaves because this is a, <gasps> is a hickory with a big, big fat leaf. Yeah. Ovate. Ovate. That, thank you, Alex. Well thank done. You. And it's a, it's a funny thing. If you are trying to uh, figure out where this, uh, what tree this is of the hickories, um, then this is the one that has like the fewest amount of leaflets. It has a compound, pinnately compound leaf. Okay. So it comes out and it has uh, leaflets that are opposite. Four of them, and then one right at the very tip. Only five leaflets. Yeah, generally only five. Sometimes they can get up to uh, up to seven, but generally almost always five. We say only because I think because most of the time leaflets come in groups of like twenty. Yeah, unless it's like the palmately <laughs> compound leaves. Oh sure, those can be like five to seven pretty often. Like yeah. maples, even they have three. But yeah, generally if it's the pinnately compound one, there's just a million of them all the time. Yeah, the what the uh, tree of heaven has like 41 up to and then wild the the walnuts generally are well, they're like 9 to 13 or 9 to 17 and then for the the black walnut so you just get like usually there's way more 
Even well, in the hickories, this is the same case. Will it always be an odd number because of that that terminal leaf? At yeah, the end? usually terminal leaflet is that? What it's it's the terminal leaflet. Yeah, well done. <laughs> There's usually usually it is, but sometimes not. Sometimes it has uh, double leaflets right at the very end for oh, no good reason. Cool. It's actually comparably rare, and a lot of people are like, "Does it have a terminal leaflet? Does it not?" And that's like a, a specific ID characteristic, but I can't think of one that has that characteristic off the top of my head. Okay. So we're going to act like it doesn't exist because that's how it works. But the other thing with these is, of course, they have this pinnately compound leaf. The pinnately compound leaf looks the same as an ash and other things like that. Mm. So a lot of people would say, well, is it like, how do you tell the difference? This tree is alternately arranged as the, uh, the leaves are going down the stem. The leaves, not the leaflets. Yes, correct. Okay. Leaflets are opposite. Leaves are alternate as well as the buds and all the rest of it cool. but what's cool about it is that they it's the it's the first easiest way to tell them apart in my opinion and on top of that you uh you can you can see them growing they grow over in the southeast so you don't really uh have you have a lot of ashes over there but if you see them planted over here where we don't have almost anything other than walnuts and the uh the hickories that we have planted here, they have that alternately arranged and pinnately compound leaf. Most of the time, it's an ash that has that pinnately compound leaf. So that's an ID thing, you know. You can just kind of like, you know, alternate opposite pinnately compound. All of a sudden, you go from a bunch of trees to like four different possibilities. And then it's really easy after that. I like, I always like the, uh, when you give, you know, one ID characteristic that is slightly different from a bunch of other trees. Mm-hmm. I think that helps... I, that would help me to like narrow things down if I was trying to ID a tree. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's good. I'm I think that's good podcasting, Casey. Yes, uh, every podcast needs to help you identify something in in the real life. Yeah, in an easy way. Yeah, I agree. Like movie podcasts. Yeah, you should like, be able to go tell which movie they're talking about. Is it Die Hard one or two? Yeah. What's the difference? What's the spe- what's the specificity? Yeah, I'd like to know. Hans Gruber. So the other big thing that obviously is notable about this tree is that it has shaggy bark. Hey, it's in the name, huh? It's in the name. And what's cool about this is that the shaggy bark is is a super great ID characteristic that sets this part or this tree apart from other hickories. Okay. Hickories... Um, their bark is famous for being very cross-hatched, similar to the ashes, but even flatter on top. It's like it's like these these X's that kind of go up, but then will like uh, fade back into each other, but then kind of come back out. Hmm. So very like a, a, the, the opposite of diamond plated, where diamond plating like the diamond is what comes out from the plate. This is that the the X's pop out. Good. So it has like these things. Good visual. Ana- Does that's that work? Good. Yep. You like that? Okay. Well, so this, what's funny about this tree is that it doesn't have that. Okay. Yeah, so I just describe it in detail for all the other hickories. Uh-huh. The uh, the shag bark of a shag bark hickory, it's like that. But imagine that those um, that those individual like plates and, and X's and things that I just kind of described that they almost like delaminate themselves from each other yeah. and then pop out in these big like long bark shags. Yeah, it's it, pr- it's pretty groovy. Yeah, it's really cool bark. I like it quite a bit, and it's a super great ID characteristic, especially if you're like, okay, it's alternate. It's got those pinnately compound. Th- Look at that. Oh, there's the bark. Okay, it's easy. Like those three things 
and you have any idea that you think this might be a place where a hickory would grow, yeah, boom, that that that'll be the tree for sure. Sweet. But what's cool about this also is that bark is actually really good habitat. I was uh, in Missouri one time, and we couldn't cut down shag bark hickories because a certain bat lived underneath Aww. those little shag barks. Oh, how cute! Yeah, it was a tiny little adorable little white bat. I think I was gonna say it's got to be pretty small from what I see. Yeah, it would be tiny. But they were like, "Yeah, we can't cut down these trees anymore. Like, there's a moratorium, so we're not gonna we're not gonna do it." This guy's little little awning. Exactly, but imagine how many like if you like couldn't kind of shake a tree or like you watch at dusk and all of a sudden you just see like these little tiny bats just kind of go whoop, fall out and like fly away. That's pretty spooky. It's a little spooky, but like they're adorable and like they're really quiet, so you wouldn't be able, you wouldn't see like a whole tree like burst into white bats, right? Which also would be pretty cool. I would actually prefer to see that. This is this is like uh, you know um, in Star Wars there's like a hmm, I can't remember the exact moment. There's a big ship going, and then all of a sudden, from the bottom of the ship, like mm-hmm. these things like kind of drop and then go and like fly away. The the uh, the Sentinel droids on from uh, the second Empire ah, Strikes yes, Back. Yes, that's right. The probe droids. Yeah. yeah, I think it's it's similar to that where they just kind of like fall down, then shoot off in every direction. That's cool. Yeah, it's kind of like that, except they're very quiet and they don't shoot at you. They just kind of like I'm gonna go eat bugs. So they um. So what's other cool or although also cool about these trees is that they grow very upright. They don't um. Mm. They don't tend to create these big long crowns. They stay kind of compact. They grow up. They got of course, green, lovely green uh, foliage, and they have like little tiny tufts of hair at the end of um, of the teeth on the edge of the leaves, which is an ID characteristic. It's very, very, very minor. But what's cool about the hickories is that if you're trying to tell them apart. Um, Especially in this area where there's a huge diversity of hickories, I think there's 12, 11 or 12 species in the southeast United States alone. Mm. They have, um, like, they grow in different habitats and they grow in different areas, like um, up, up, uh, like in the south versus in the north, or versus high elevation, low elevation, or in lowland areas versus highland areas. And each one like has a certain distinction about its leaf and or fruit, where if you can find one or both of those, you just have to kind of remember that each tree has these certain characteristics, and then that that takes you like takes you home. You got mm. you got the ID right. But it's one of those things where each one's just different enough that you have to like remember like okay, this one like this, this one like this, this one like this. Once you get that pattern down, you're you're good to go. Cool. But they also, final thing about this, they use the hickory nut, the lovely I, hickory nut. I see this. This is kind of yeah, a dark it? horse. I, I didn't I didn't realize that this thing grew a nut. It does. It grows um, like, like they're, they're the size of walnuts. They're pretty huge. Yeah. Are they good eaten? Um, you know, I think so, but I've not ever eaten them. I think people have and can, but I don't know. I think there are certain, certain ones that are a little bit tastier than others. Okay. I Googled hickory nut recipe. Yeah. I'm seeing lots of baked goods, so I reckon you blend or you grind it into a, a flour yeah. and, and use it in baked goods. I think you might also be able to like take the nut itself and turn it into a uh, turn it into a, a nut thing like a walnut or something like that or a pecan. In turn fact, it into a pecan? No, no, sorry. Use it in the same form. Oh, 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 sorry. okay. Like a hickory nut pie. Yeah, exactly. And the uh, I will actually add that hickory, uh, the genus includes the pecan, which is Caria illinoisensis. Yeah. That's like the Pennsylvania of yeah. Illinois. <laughs> it, it, it is, yeah. They would be very upset to hear that, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, that's exactly right. So it is included. So you can certainly eat a few of them. Yeah. Uh, definitely one we eat pretty heck, uh, heavily. It's delicious. Cool. But this one specifically, the shag bark, it has a little tiny nut inside this huge, huge, thick husk. Yeah. And that husk is generally broken up into, um, usually it's four, but this picture looks like it has five. But hickories generally have fruit that has um, four little uh, like capsule edges, I guess. Hmm. So it's kind of like if you cut an orange and then it has like, you, you get those four bits if you cut it and then cut those each in half again. Right. It's like that, except the tree does it itself. You don't have to cut it up. And uh, but the thing about these is that my it, normally they always have these four um, these four shells or four bits on their shell. Some of them have only two, like the pecans, a great example, where two halves have fused together, so they actually look like they're just one, and the shell is very thin. Um, but it's just kind of one uh, a little bit of a difference off of one kind of set. Uh, pattern, hmm. you know? So it's similar to the walnuts. They're in the same family as walnuts. Oh, really? So, yeah, so you, but you can see the difference between walnuts is that they have just a complete full husk around it. There's no, there's no like um, areas for their, uh, that husk to like rip off in parts. Right. The, the hickories, however, they do have that nice little line. So some of them will actually just open up entirely and kind of shoot the nut out. Others will open up a little bit. Some will just stay completely closed. This thing's like 50% husk. It's a thick boy. It really is. Like, it's kind of like, well, what's the point? I get it that, uh, you know, you want something to eat it, but the husk itself seems a little bit, a little bit much, don't yeah. you think? Uh, yeah, maybe it's, maybe it's compensating for its, uh, its, its bark's lack of constitution. Yeah, there you go. It's, it's like, no, you, you're falling apart, Bark. Where do you see my nuts? Yeah, where do you see my nuts? They stay together for days, hours, months. Well, so that's that's kind of the big thing. And uh, the, the, the funny thing about these trees is that they tend to grow, um, I think, also in a little bit of a lowland area. They, they are also planted pretty easily, consistently around places. Like, people like to see them. Their shag bark is, mm-hmm. is quite handsome. And in Portland, we actually have a few as street trees. One nice uh, row of them on a house over in northeast or uh, north. Yeah, it's technically just northeast. Hmm. Um, but it also, um, they're hard to transplant. They say uh, because they have a taproot when they're really young. Uh, there's a tap root on them. So when you try to plant them, you have to kind of dig this really deep hole and stick them in there just perfectly upright. So they, they tend to be kind of rough to transplant. What's a tap root, Casey? Well, a tap root, Alex, is the main root of a plant that grows straight downwards. Mm-hmm. Imagine a carrot. That's the perfect way to describe uh, oh. a tap root. Uh, if the, ta- or the thing that we eat that is a carrot is, is the taproot tap of the carrot. Yeah. Of the carrot plant. Exactly. Interesting. Um, trees don't, huh. trees don't generally have those. Uh, yeah. And I think, I don't know why they call it a taproot. I guess it's just the root that taps into things, you know? Yeah. That's, that's probably where it came from. Interesting. But it is not, it, that's not how trees grow. Once that, that first little taproot starts coming down from a seedling, then it starts sending roots out left and right. And those left and right roots are where it gets all of the nutrients, oxygen, water, everything that it needs. And so there's no reason for them to go down any further because it's there's just less resources. So, But a shagbark hickory does have a taproot? Only, only when it's young. Oh, Yeah, okay. and then that taproot ends up dissolving away. And usually trees, as they get bigger, they'll be growing in the top 
two to three feet of soil. Yeah. So that taproot that starts when you hold this little tiny, you know, seedling in your hand, that little tiny taproot will grow down and then like continue to grow down because there's still like a big level of water, nutrients, oxygen. Mm -hmm. But then as soon as that starts to diminish, then it doesn't grow down any further because why put your effort into growing further down if there's nothing there for you? Interesting. It will send, uh, trees do generally send down like vertical roots, but then as soon as those, those top three, uh, top two to three feet of soil is kind of like taken, there's no more direct middle line. Have you ever imagined like, you remember those, uh, like anyone draws a photo, kind of a stylistic thing where you show a tree growing upright and then the roots down below. And it's like mirrored. Yeah, especially yeah. if it's like a conifer where it's like that straight, perfect form and then they do the same thing down below. It's like, that's not how it grows. That's right. how a carrot grows. <laughs> and that's about it because the carrot's usually using that taproot as like a storage facility mm-hmm. and it also like goes down and like sends other stuff. So it's not just how the tree or how it grows so that it tries to you know get nutrients. It's actually just like a larder. Uh, what's the dandelion does the same thing. They have that big taproot. You know what might be f- a funny kind of uh, a, com- a, a tattoo as a comment on tattoos uh-huh. is a, is that same diagram the tree and the roots underneath it, but with yeah. a carrot, just with a carrot underneath yeah, it. Funny. Like this is a carrot, you guys. A carrot with a carrot plant on top. Yeah, I think that would I, I would do it. The uh, uh, like biologically correct carrot grown with like all the little hair roots and everything coming uh-huh. off. Yeah. I love that idea, Alex. Something a something a hipster rabbit might have. A hipster rabbit with a crew cut and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I want to see that art. And That's Miniman's passport. <laughs> um, I want to say something about um, something I admi- I'm beginning to admire about trees. All right, yeah. And I think that we could all learn a lesson from. Oh. Trees are, and I guess you could say this about almost anything in nature, so maybe I'll zoom out, but I'll focus mm-hmm. on trees here. Trees are so extremely practical. Mm. Yeah. You know, they don't grow where they where they know they won't be able to. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they don't put leaves where the, there's no sun. Yeah, they're not frivolous about it. Yeah, they don't put resources where they won't get something back. Mm-hmm. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's admirable because I think a lot of people, including myself, maybe you have experienced this, you put in effort into something mm-hmm. that in the back of your mind you know isn't going to give you anything like, back. This isn't going anywhere. Uh, relationships, certainly, yeah, <laughs> is yeah. a big one. Um, you know, jobs. Yeah, I was going to uh, say, or like a, a car that you're just like, why am I still paying yeah, for this thing? Yeah, why did I replace the transmission on this 30-year-old car that yeah. has, you know, 600,000 miles on it when it's a second away from dying? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just think trees are, are kind of beautifully practical mm-hmm. and, and intelligent in a way, and, and uh, I like that. I think it's a very good, uh, very good observation, yeah. And they're also not uh, not vicious about it, generally. no. Yeah, they're 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 usually trying to do the best they can. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm reading right now the uh, uh, Finding the Mother Tree by Suzanne Samard. Okay, and uh, she's she's very good at making the argument that these trees are not like strictly in competition. Where it's like half the time people would say that while they are putting their leaves out generally just for their own benefit, not where they're not going to get anything, mm-hmm. they are actively like trying to shade out the other plants. And she would be like, no, nah, they're just all growing. Yeah. Like, they're just all doing it together. Right. And I was like, that's really nice. Yeah, I don't, they're, they're certainly, and that's, that's one of my issues with things like uh, the, what is it, the secret life of trees yeah. or whatever, where that, that suggests that trees are like people and have like personalities. And yeah. Stuff, or like podcasts, like completely arbitrary. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, humanize trees. <laughs> intensely humanize them. Um, is that, you know, people try to do that shit with dogs, you know, like, oh, yeah. look, he's, um, he put his, he put his hand on his friend because they're buddies. Like, no, yeah. he's like trying to like be, a, uh, you know, dominant toward this other, m- Yeah, you know. there's like some weird thing that we're not even quite aware of. Yes. That, that you can't even draw a parallel between. It's just so, so far removed. Yes, I think we, I think we try to do that a lot. We try to humanize non-human things. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's a natural thing. Um, Actually, I just read the. Which I don't uh, think is that healthy, by the way. I yeah, I, I it can and can't be like I guess if you humanize it, then maybe you care for it a little more. But yeah, if you if you turn it into a human, then yeah, you you can get the entire. You add a whole other layer of things, yeah. like morality, and it's like well, morality as we see it is not quite the same as how the tree sees it. Yes, it may not be something we'd want to include in that. Right, but. Yeah, I, I'm really torn on it because I agree with you, Alex. Humanizing and anthropomorphizing mm-hmm. things can like lend it to be quite, quite awful. But if we don't do that, do you think there would be a smaller amount or a, a, a lesser amount of care given? Less empathy, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Um, potentially. I, I, I love. I and I'm not trying to high road anybody or anything. Hey, hey. But I, I love platform. I love dogs for what they are. I don't yeah. need to imagine that they are like people. Ah, uh, yeah. Even yeah. though they are in many ways, mm-hmm. uh, we're both animals. Yeah, both pack animals. Like, uh, yeah, like to have a little little bit of a group around us. That's true, Casey. Yeah, we both hunt in, in packs. Yeah, yes, we do. I'm gonna go hunt in a pack later. I never go to the grocery store alone. <laughs> never, just in case there's a another feral pack of humans there. <laughs> I'm gonna always need to have my my crew with me, Casey. <laughs> we've got plenty more to say about this shag bark hickory after the break. We'll be right back with more completely our portrayery. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome back to Completely Arbitrary. Today we're talking Shagbark, Hickory, Casey. Uh, Usually I go into these episodes knowing kind of, you know, roughly what we're going to talk about. Yeah. But today's circumstances, I've, I've just been completely in my own world because I'm so sick. Very fair. You came over, we sat down, we chatted a bit, and we hit record. So I have no clue 
what we're talking about today, the the meat of this episode, if you will. Yes, I will. Um, so I'm just going to be a part. I'm going to be a, an observer and a participant here. Excellent. Uh, I, I am going to keep you involved. I am no puppet master today. Yeah. If I had little little, uh, it turns out actually I should correct an error. It, they're named Caria uh, ovata because of the shape of the fruit is ovid like an egg. There you ovoid. go. Ovoid. But I was going to say, if I had these little ovoid fruits, mm-hmm. I would throw them at you every now and then to kind of be like, ah, in case, in case I wasn't <clears> being <throat> as as uh, uh, interactive as I want to be. I see. That way, if you, if you were like, that's a nice way of putting. I can't it. do you, this. <laughs> you, you mean me not paying attention? <laughs> no, 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 no. We need. We, that's what we not need. the. No, I'm. St- I'm gonna. I protest, Alex. <laughs> what we need is bean bags that say "Hey, <laughs> hey, hey" on them, and you just, just throw it. them at me in the middle of episodes. Yeah, we should get ones that have different amounts of "hey" on it. Like one is all lowercase. Oh yeah. The next one is all lowercase with a period. Yes. And the next one's capital with a period then all uppercase with an exclamation you know that kind of thing yes yeah yeah alex we're gonna get back on track to this hickory talk cool now this hickory this hickory talk hickory dickory doc mm. this mouse ran up the clock okay that clock was 65 million years old wow casey what a yeah. setup thank you so hickories we we're today alex gonna talk about the evolution of the hickory and specifically some interesting uh some interesting things that make it an interesting sort of historical thing. So I will. I should start by saying this is not a, a history that is specific to the hickories. It's a hickory history that is quite uh, ambitious in that it also includes every other kind of tree that kind of grows in this area, which is the southeastern United States mm. and southeast Asia. Okay. There's a whole study on on this sort of uh, this evolution, and uh, there's another like a bunch of different plants that you can look at this. And essentially, um, what these what these scientists wanted to look at and what their big questions are is why are all the trees and species the same or at least really closely similar in the eastern United States? mostly Europe and then like Southeast Asia. Hmm. Like these big spots of land, of like area, a lot of them have the same trees, the same species, uh, the same genre, but different species. As a professional scientist, I could take a guess. Go for it. All these things, all these land masses were touching at some point. Oh my God. Wow. Did I ruin the prestige? No, no, you totally didn't. That's great. That's no, that is the prestige. The prestige just, it comes out whenever it comes out. Okay. That's, that's the thing. It is, it is essentially that. And there's a bunch more kind of to it, um, which I think makes specifically uh, the hickories very interesting. Hopefully we'll cover more hickories. In fact, I, I know we will, obviously. But the, the shagbark hickory, I think, is really cool in this regard because i think it's one of the most unique of all of the hickories all the rest kind of they kind of have something going on that looks really similar i like the bark on this one it's one of my favorites and so Mm. i'm like you know what we're gonna do that so this is straight nepotism as why we chose this specific hickory <laughs> right. to represent all of the like 18 hickories. <laughs> the ambassador. Yeah, exactly. Like, it, it's kind of like, you! And the hickory like looks behind itself and is like, me? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? And we're like, yeah, you're the one. 
strap that bark down. We're going. There's a there was an I just watched an episode of Succession. Yeah, where they they basically get together at this at this fucking insane conference to choose the next president. You know, the next oh. presidential candidate who they're going to put their money behind. Oh, geez, that's wild. And we 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 are doing this with the shag bark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. We had a, we had a backrooms deal with a lot of martinis and things uh-huh. like that. Yeah, that's exactly it. Mm. Well, so as it turns out, the, uh, the you're essentially correct. So the Hickories split off from the Juglandaceae, the family that includes the walnuts yeah. and the tarot carps and all these others. Um, they split off from them probably about 65 million years ago, but the, the Hickory or the, the Juglans themselves are um, just a little bit older than that, like maybe 77 or so million years old. Casey, I'm so sorry. Uh, Can I interject with another question? Of course. And I say this with not a hint of skepticism. Mm. It's pure curiosity. All right. How do we know that? That's a great question. I don't actually have any real good answer for okay. that. Um, I can say uh, I can say enough that they um, they know based on they look at fossils. Okay, sure. And they can't date the fossils in the same way that we would date like a younger thing with like the carbon dating, right. That kind of thing, right? I don't know, hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's too old for that. Okay. All the carbon that we would use to date is gone. Gone. Yeah. So I think they use a couple different ideas. First is they someone can find some place and they dig down and they see all these different strata of rocks in different layers and they say, "Okay, the one on the very top is the youngest because that's the thing like literally, you know, this leaf just fell yesterday." Versus as you go down, all this strata becomes older and older and older and then in order for certain things to happen, they've calculated it takes a certain amount of time. And then if you can find that strata elsewhere and kind of say, okay, this strata matches this strata mm. over here, we know that this strata over here is X amount of years old. We know that this one is X amount of years old. Then we can put it together. Okay. And we can kind of say, okay, these we can cross-date them. Uh, but I know there's other dating techniques, but you know what, Alex? Gosh dang it. I don't know. I it don't prob- have a good answer. I'm assuming it takes a village of techniques. I think so. You know? Yeah. And I know there's like some kind of weird rock dating thing because people are like, this is the oldest rock in the world. And it's like, well, how do you know that? Right. Yeah. And like, what is, what's come from underground and moved up? I, I don't, I don't know. The, I don't have a good answer. If you know, if you're listening to this and you are screaming at us and you know exactly, and you're like a, a real smart science person well let's be honest they're probably not listening to this podcast (laughs) wow (laughs) i mean i don't know who who that's insulting to i don't know either a little bit of everybody yeah someone's someone's there's like i am really smart and i also (laughs) listen to this podcast these guys are jerks but then you and me that's kind of also like a shot at us yeah it comes across to yeah that's like a yeah that's that goes in all directions something i would say casey (laughs) hey what can i say uh yeah send us an email uh and let us know what the hell is happening in the yeah. in the tree uh, dating world? The tree dating world, yeah. Honestly, hey. it's, yeah, it's very slow. It brings brings a whole new meaning to Tinder. Yeah, it does. Yeah, everyone's like, "Whoa, I don't want to get on an app called Tinder." Jesus, that's violent. You know, sometimes I really tickle myself. <laughs> Me too. Probably a joke that nobody's ever made, right? No, yeah, that's the only time. A tree tree dating app? Called Tinder? Yeah. Oh, boy. Which is just an application to date how old a, a fossil tree is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. They yeah. ran into some legal stuff with the... <laughs> and then Tinder was like, honestly, we don't care. That's, <laughs> yeah. the, that's going nowhere. You have four downloads. <laughs> so it turns out, though, that someone somewhere figured out that 
essentially these were x amount of millions of years old actually you know what i have one idea i have one idea i did learn that they could figure out uh how old a tree is or how old a tree's lineage is like mm-hmm. the, the the genes of it because there's a certain amount of uh mutation that happens and they're like this mutation happens like once every five generations on average i see so if you can guesstimate how old the general uh how long a generation would be you know how long that tree would live then they could they could basically figure it out that way so they say okay we have all these genes and if they happen once every x amount of time then we can just count how many mutations there are and then boom we know how old this tree is interesting i think that's again that's but very surface level um there's again scientists out there listening who are like oh it's just so much so much more complicated than that's a cringing going on yeah exactly sorry about that you guys well, we'll move past the cringing and d- talk about the things where that we can at least say, yeah, we, someone out there didn't cringe. They figured it out. We all agree. 65 or so million years ago, the hickories came into existence. They initially started in North America. That's where they evolved. And that's where they broke away from the walnuts. And then slowly but surely, they moved across what apparently used to be an entire forest that was the Northern Hemisphere. Mm. They called the the Boreal Tropical Forest, I think wow. is, is the term. And this was BTF, back in... BTF, baby. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty hot. <laughs> so this is right after the dinosaurs uh, perished, you know. And I always like think someone's like, oh, 65, 66 million years ago. It's like, man, blink of an eye. And I'm like, no, that's still a million years in between these two things mm-hmm. happening, which is a, a just mind-blowing long amount of time. Yeah, I can't even... It's so even if it is like man, between 65 and 66 million years, like the dinosaurs were gone, all of their bones became 100% fossilized. And then there was still 64 million years until today. <laughs> and it's like, ah, oh, that's, that's, the, the amount of time is crazy for me. Yeah. But essentially, there was, um, the dinosaurs had just probably gone, you know, gone extinct and they are released on their way out. This tree called the hickory, I don't think those things are necessarily involved with each other. They might be. There's might be, I don't even know if anyone's ever asked that question. But let's just say for now, no, this is just happenstance. Okay. All of a sudden, at the time, the entire North America and Europe and Asia were all connected via two main areas. Um, And this has kind of come and gone as as things have moved around and and, uh, the sea level has risen and dropped. But there was the Bering Land Bridge, which is now what we call Bering Strait. Right. So that's between Russia and Alaska. And then there was what is very little known, but apparently existed for quite some time, is a North Atlantic land bridge. And we talked about this, I think, when we did the Don Redwood episode Hmm. a while back, because we're like, well, how did this tree spread across all these different places? And it turns out it was actually kind of during the same time that the hickories and all these other trees were doing it. But the kind of warmer climate of the entire area was connected through this North Atlantic land bridge okay so you could go from the eastern united states or from just north america as a whole i shouldn't say united states obviously this is 65 million years ago it was just 13 colonies at the time and yeah did you like that alex yeah yeah you just threw it in there oh man we're good today we're good so Uh. what we now call north america 
it was way warmer. Everywhere in Europe, everywhere in, everywhere else, it was really warm. The uh, Appalachian Mountains, Appalachian Mountains, mm-hmm. didn't exist at this time. Wow. Noth- the Rockies didn't exist. It was just this big kind of flat expanse. A forest? Essentially, yeah. Tropical forest. The, uh, the whole thing. Isn't that just a crazy thing to think that, about? That is pretty wild. It was super warm. The temperature was very mellow and mild. It didn't. It was very stable, apparently. How do they know this? Also, I don't know exactly, but someone has figured this out. So this was the same across the entire northern hemisphere. So it is essentially one gigantic forest. Which to me is like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard of. That's Casey's Wonderland. That's Casey's Wonderland. Like, just walk and you know every species of tree from Maine all the way through Kamchatka, all the way back around through the eastern United States, all the way back over to France. It's all the same. Although, Casey, you might run into some unfriendly characters. I'm sure I would. There's going to be evolving mammals everywhere. Uh Yeah, that's pretty terrifying. Uh, Or like... Fish with fur. Yeah, and the... the, uh, uh, velociraptors but like on their way to becoming like just giant birds right yeah okay i get it i know there's sauropods that did that i don't want to hear it um but yeah it's exactly right we're gonna run into some nasty characters and those nasty characters are probably helping to eat all these other different uh fruit that's going around here Mm. like these nuts for instance and you ended up getting this massive massive forest across this entire area it turns out that the colder temperature trees probably went over the uh um the Bering Land Bridge. I don't know why there's a, a difference there. Probably through um, temperatures and um, maybe where ice was or where the currents in the ocean are. Mm-hmm. So, like for instance, the jet stream over between the Gulf going all the way up through Norway keeps that whole area way warmer than you'd ever expect it to be based mm. on the the latitude. And then the opposite happens over on the uh, in the east or the Pacific Northwest, I think. I could be wrong about this. But anyway, you have currents that really change these things, which is why when you look at the latitudinal difference between like London and Boston and Portland or Seattle, they're some are colder and hotter, yet they're actually higher or lower. So you're like, wait, why is Portland so mild and chill when it's actually at a higher latitude than like half of Maine, which is always super frigid, right? Yeah. And that's just wind stuff? Not winds. It's currents in the oceans. Oh, ocean currents. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Which bring cold or warm rains and such. Yeah, exactly. Condensation. So precipitation. Well, so you end up getting the um, this this gigantic forest, right? And all these trees start moving around. So it makes sense. You have all these millions of different trees that move around from the North America. Let's say you have the the walnuts and the hickories. They grow up in in North America. This mm-hmm. is where they evolved. Like the like horses, they evolved in North America. They follow these trees across to the other sides of the planet, and. Everyone's living their lovely life. They're having a great time. And then everyone, all these big questions are like, well, what happened? How do they get there? And why are they not in other places? Mm. And this became a very, curi- very curious thing when I started looking about uh, these, these, uh, these hickories. I'm going to say this specifically, the shagbark hickory, even though that's where that sentence ends. Right. So the, uh, the shagbark hickory and its ilk were going around and they were developing. They were doing all sorts of cool stuff. And then... It turns out that certain things happened across the world that like changed everything in in the kind of the way that 
the world is now today in terms of flora. So you think first, okay, we have really similar species of flowering plants and animals. There's a bunch of research on frogs um, and like how different things happen about frogs in certain areas that created evolutionary differences in frogs Mm. just in the southeastern United States. But then you can also think, well, if we had like species of horse, for instance, they were growing all through this entire area, one species goes extinct or other species like move in and come around like the evolutionary evolutionary history it's just fascinating to me mm. sorry it was a little bit of an off topic i love it we we never go off topic <laughs> we, on this podcast no, not even a single time so you end up getting this gigantic forest and then it's growing everywhere you start to get just a little bit of speciation happening where you you have small little niches start to develop but you remember how if everything is just going great there's no real reason for anything to change everyone's everyone's just quite happy so whenever you get speciation usually there's some change that happens there's some pressure that push, puts it on that or just such a long period of time where you know change happens like the was it the sympatric um, speciation like with the um, Aracaria species mm. and and their close relatives on New Caledonia. Right, New Caledonia. Yeah, it was like one, one species of Aracaria, the genus, they grew there and then became like 20-some different species, like, and they can all trace it back to one lineage. And it's like, wow, that... They just niche developed. They yeah. just really became uh, very good. So that's there's that kind of speciation. Um, I think I'm actually just getting the terms wrong, so we're just going to skip the terms. Um, there's the speciation where you are developing um, in an amount around each other. So you have like one forest, and it develops for whatever reason a few different species of trees that are all kind of the same. It's like, well, why like why do we have so many firs that grow in the same species or same area around here? versus what happened with these hickories. So the hickories, they grew in this entire area. Then you had the Tibetan Plateau raise up. Then you had the Appalachian Mountains raise up. Mm. And you started to have these really intense changes based on the geology of that area. Then you're also going to have the tectonic um, shifting. You'll have changes in the amount of ice that was coming down. Like, so you can start getting these temperature changes and like these climactic, you know, uh, pressures. So what happened is over time, all the hickories in the, the middle of this range just went extinct. Like they just don't exist anymore. And this was in Europe. Hmm. But then the conditions over in the southeastern United States and in Southeast Asia, they essentially stayed exactly the same. And remember how, I've, I know I've said this before, that China specifically has like a strange amount of endemic plants that grow there and nowhere else. Yeah. And it's, I, I was like, why is this? Like, what exactly happened? The, uh, the ginkgo and the... Don Redwood. Don Redwood. Perfect example. Excuse me, the river oak. Thank you for... Damn it! <laughs> oh, I did that last time yeah, too. Yeah, but I love the, the honestly, it's so good. Of just, course, it's just, the river fir, yeah, not the oak. It's like fir. What am I thinking? Ah, Alex, you're doing great. So the uh, the trees that are growing in these like certain places in China, essentially, China became in these different um, individual like like valleys and places became refugia, refugia. Which is essentially just the plural of refuge. Okay. So I don't know why they don't say refuges. Maybe yeah. maybe it's because it's I don't know English versus ancient Latin. Okay. You get it. So they ended up getting these 
uh, a bunch of refuges, and these are they mean it in the the specific scientific idea where this one habitat, for instance, the uh, the water fur, that habitat remained the same for this big gigantic forest since for the last six, 65 million years. Mm. It stayed almost exactly the same to where the conditions that that tree evolved in are still there in almost the exact same way that they used to be. So that is like really like interesting. We're like, okay, so China became this, uh, or Southeast Asia became this intense amount of refuge. Just off the coast in Japan, those trees also went extinct. So it's like, wow, so just off the coast on this little island chain, there are no more carrier species, no more hickories, yet there used to be. And you just go inland a little ways, there's still some species. It's actually inland quite a ways. But you ended up getting just these slight variations where trees used to be and are no longer. And then you find those perfect little habitats in these refuges that you're like, aha, there is the exact same conditions that these trees evolved in that therefore they're still doing really well. Interesting. So those species have not changed that much. There's not a whole lot of variation between what they used to look like and what they look like now. There hasn't been a lot of speciation. They've kind of remained normal because there's no pressure. Everyone's like, yeah, I've been living here my whole life. I I eat the same things. I'm happy. Nothing has changed about it. Why would I change? Mm versus the eastern United States. And remember, everything changed so vastly in between that there's just those trees don't exist anymore. They they went extinct in the Miocene a lot of times. Hmm. So in the eastern United States like those species don't exist? Yeah, the, yeah, these ancient, yeah, they're they're extinct species of hickories okay. or a couple other extinct species of juglandaceae plants that mm-hmm. just don't exist anymore. So for whatever reason, um, and a lot of it has to do with mountain building, where mountains just came up out of nowhere, changed the whole water regime and the amount of glaciation that came down, changed the climates where these plants either couldn't move fast enough and adapt to new climates. So the Don Redwood did this famously, where it kind of go all the way down to like Texas and then move all the way back up into the higher Arctic circle. And it would just constantly like follow these, um, the the glaciation that happened hmm. until it basically couldn't survive because it got way too dry and it found that refuge in China and there it stayed. Yeah. So either these trees couldn't migrate fast enough and then the conditions caught up with them as they changed and then they just died out. Other trees that were better at this did a good job. Oaks, perfect example. Oaks apparently also were from the from North America. That's where they evolved. And then they moved across these very same land bridges and these very same forests, but they crushed it. They evolved and they're like, yeah, I can grow anywhere. This is fantastic. So hickories, for whatever reason, couldn't do it. But in the southeast United States, those trees, or whatever tree was growing there, ended up having some very specific um, traits that helped them survive and then speciate almost twice or three times as much as the trees over in China. Hmm. Specifically, the things that that really um, that really were the change is that the eastern North American species, they have terminal bud scales, where they just have a scale protecting the terminal bud. Right. That is the thing that they have, whereas the bud scales 
that or there are no bud scales. It's just naked buds, naked leaves sitting out there for the species that grow over in East or South Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia. So those trees, they have this. Uh, they just have these buds sitting out there. Now, if you have a naked bud and it gets real, real cold, your bud is probably going to get damaged. Yeah. Whereas if you put these scales over the top of it, it stays just warm enough to where you don't get a damaged bud, your tree can grow as much as it needs to. Okay. So they say, well, honestly, that must just be the that must be the biggest thing that they can do. So one tree, maybe for whatever reason, it had these scales and it was growing in North America and it didn't move over to the other side of the planet. It just kind of stayed there. Or maybe that was some random uh, mutation that happened for whatever reason. Or maybe it just happened and the other trees lost theirs because they're like, it's so warm and comfy here. I don't really need to have these scales. I don't know the answer to that question. But the ones in eastern North America had that, so they kind of had this leg up. They could survive this cold area when it got chillier in whatever given time. But the other thing that they had, which I, I never really gave many much thought to, they are what's called tetraploid. You, we, I think we might have talked about this once. Wow, does, does no. Does ring, ring a bell? It doesn't ring a bell, but that doesn't mean we haven't talked about it. What it means is that you have, instead of just one set of chromosomes, you have two complete sets of chromosomes. <clears throat> Fancy. And so it's essentially meanings like, well, it's like, well, what's the, well, who, why is that important? Turns out there are a couple different things that really make this super, super helpful. It apparently makes them extra robust. Hmm. And I was kind of reading this, and like, it's the same kind of thing that happens where if you have two, two parents, two progenitors, and you hybridize those two together, then the offspring oftentimes is tetraploid. It has two sets of chromosomes, two full sets of chromosomes. They are then, for whatever reason, really, really robust. They are healthy. They grow really fast. They put on huge, long shoots. They just have this like wild amount of like vigor that no one can quite figure out. Like, mm. why is that? The thing that they think is most responsible for this is you end up getting the smallest amount of um, recessive traits in a tetraploid plant. So they minimize the amount of recessive genes that they get. So the dominant genes are like maximized and the dominant genes are generally probably the ones that give you the most help or else they wouldn't be dominant. They would probably be recessive. Interesting. So they're just like alpha trees. They're just good at everything. They're just good at everything. Mm. So the trees in uh, the trees in the eastern United States, these hickories, they're tetraploids. So they're like these these like crazy fast growers and like really vigorous trees. They also have these protected buds so that they can withstand cold temperatures and just rock it off when they need to. That helped them basically survive. But then they ended up speciating so much because the Appalachian Mountains and a bunch of like mountain building moments in the southeastern United States caused a significant amount of change in their habitat. Mm. So they started growing. Um, they had to deal with different climactic conditions, different elevations. The water regimes started to change a little bit. So you got these trees that basically were just set up to succeed and you throw them in this ringer of changing conditions and they just crushed it wow. and they became like you know an amazing like group of trees hmm. whereas the lucky ones over in china where everything stayed really really like similar than these refugia they just kind of sat there and are like 
everything's cool. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. And so they didn't move. Yet you still have these like really closely related trees, but they can they they did this phylogen- phylogenetic tree that essentially shows that the the hickories growing in North America versus the hickories growing in East Asia are two distinct clades. And again, a clade is a, a unbroken group of a family tree where if you clip off a branch whatever comes at the end of that branch, all those other small branches, that is one clade. Mm. So in this case, the clade for East Asia has one, two, three, four, five individual plants that all go back to one group. And then that's related to another one group of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve plants in Eastern North America. So essentially there was one tree that spread out it evolved in this section. It evolved in this section. Wow. And that, like, they split off. And then the East Asian species basically just chilled. And the North American species just burst into a bunch of new species, mm. and a bunch of new things. Because they had these, like, this amazing, like, just kind of happenstance, you know? Where this gigantic forest covering the entire Northern Hemisphere gets fragmented, and then you're, like, left with these pieces 65 million years later. And you can kind of put together this, like, okay, what happened? How did this? And then, like, come up with this, like, not even, like... Uh, really questionable, like a very cohesive like map of what happened based on those species and like these weird climactic conditions. It's just a very interesting evolution for these trees. It's a fascinating case. We used to even have them over here in the in Oregon about uh, fifty million years ago. Oh, yeah, we just missed them, huh? We just missed them. I was it's a blink of an eye. Like you we were driving by and they had just drove past us. It's <laughs> like shoot, hey guys, Yo, was that? Was that Shagbark? Was that? I think that was Shagbark. Hold on, give him a call. Uh, Casey, wow. A lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack. I think uh, the first thing we should unpack is our score. It's time for our review of the Shag Bark Hickory. All right. Uh, here's how it works. We'll give some some parting words on this cool-ass tree. A tree with some real history. It sure is. And uh, give it a rating of 0 to 10 golden cones of honor. Case is our resident expert. We begin with you. All right. That sounds great to me. So, I think that the uh, the hickories as a as a large group as a clade if you will is a lovely group i think they're they're to me i think they're underrated especially over here they grow in the eastern united states like gangbusters they're just all over the place mm. yet for whatever reason we are letting 50 million years of time get in the way for us bringing them back i think we should bring them back these are trees that are underplanted, Alex. Wow. Rarely do we ever say that. In this case, especially in the in the in the West over here, they are just underplanted. I cannot think of more than one species, and that one species is the shagbark hickory that grow that is planted here in uh, here in Oregon. I'm sure if we looked, we could find one. I haven't looked, but I also look all the time just with my eyes wide open. And, uh, yeah, okay, wide open, focused on trees. I don't want to be like, I'm uh, enlightened, okay, bro? <laughs> no, I just look for trees all the time. And I can only tell you that I've seen many, many different examples of shagbark, but I have not seen any other examples of any other kind of hickory. They're probably there. But it tells me that we need to plant more, and the examples of shagbark are sparingly few. 
I get it. They're hard to transplant. So here's here's how I'm going about this. I think that it's got it's got it all. This tree it doesn't get big, so you know it's not gonna be, it's not massive. Mm-hmm. You can use the wood for literally everything. I, I did a quick look at this um, wheel spokes, bows, pickaxes, uh, pickaxe ha- pickaxe handles, carts, drumsticks, lacrosse sticks, golf shafts. All sorts of different stuff. Lots of handheld stuff, I, I noticed. Yeah, which is like handheld stuff that like gets like like banged up on, you know, yeah. a lot. Like has has to like be tough hmm. because it says this is a this is the Wikipedia that the woods are stronger than hickory and there are woods that are harder, but the combination of strength, toughness, and hardness and stiffness in hickory is found nowhere else. Like, wow, they, just, they got that. Cool. So I I usually like to say that I'm a fan of an. Uh, 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 a superlative tree but usually it's like biggest tallest toughest like all these all these things but this one is like i don't know it seems to me that the hickory is the like survivalistist Mm. uh, where it it, for whatever reason the shag bark as the as the chosen ambassador of the eastern north american hickories appear to me to be the the tree that can just like outlast anything and out adapt and it's the hardest, and it's the toughest, and it's the the drum stickiest. I I think it's great. I'm gonna give the shag bark eight point two. Very good. Eight point two, and that's gonna come with a plus point three if people start planting them over here. So you want to see that change, wow. everyone? Plant a shag bark hickory and send me a. Send me a message. Hey, let's get that up to an 8.5. Let's get that up to an 8.5. All right, everyone. We got the phone lines open. <laughs> we we're just really hoping we're going to be on this. This is our uh, our public radio six hours of the podcast. It does It does feel like, uh, after, you know, I haven't done much for the last 10 days or so. Uh-huh. Sitting here recording does feel a bit like a marathon session. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, well, hopefully the marathon, the marathon is going to be well, well earned. And at the end, you'll have the same endorphins. Yes, and I'll yeah. be able to eat a Big Mac. Ugh, yes. <laughs> is that uh, what people eat after a marathon? No, that's what I would eat. I would treat okay. myself to like if if supersize was still a thing, I would get like a supersize meal. Oh like man, yeah. You don't have to get them supersized anymore. Just ask for large. That's true. Yeah, it's it's there. Wow, Casey, uh, eight point three, eight point two. Yeah, eight point uh, eight point two. Two golden yeah. cones of honor. Yeah. I also want to shout out the bark. The bark's incredible. Uh, well deserved. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like the shag bark hickory. I have zero experience with it. Mm-hmm. It's one, you know, it's one of those trees. I don't. I don't really have a. I don't really have a take on besides Google image. It's pretty. It's pretty fair. I. I think it's like. Like I say all the time, it gives you this. Uh, this. This open. This open blank slate to That's just right. look at the look at the merits from a paper thin perspective. Very well said. I like this. I like the tail you spun. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hit. I love a tree with some history. There you go. I love a tough tree. I love a tree that gives back. I would say the thing that this gives us specifically is that hard, tough, strong wood. Yep, yep. I'm going to give it a... I think, you know, I'm going to land, I think, a 7.1. 7. 7.1? 7. That feels right okay, to me. Yeah, that looks, I think that feels pretty good. Just over the edge of 7.0. Just over the edge. Now, what would what would put it uh, what would put it to 7.5 for I, you, know, You know, if I, if I had... I guess uh, if I had some some sort of familiarity with this tree at all, mm, yeah, that might help my improve my rating, or it might, or might help it might lower it. There you go. Yeah, you go out there and you're like, honestly, it smells bad. Not into it. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. That's fair. I could that's know fair. immediately. Um, Casey, 
that was our review of the Shag Bar Kickery. Casey, it's time for a completely arbitrary Q&A. This week, our question is from Allison. Hi, Allison. Hi, Allison. Allison asks, do trees have and or need day and night circadian rhythms? Oh. I know they need light for photosynthesis, and some need seasonal changes in temperature for fruit to form properly, but do plants need X amount of hours of dark or rest time like people do. Yeah. Uh, fungally yours, Allison. That's a very good question, Allison. Yeah, this is, I, I like this question because it reminds me of something that I would ask. Ah, yeah. It would like, no offense, Allison. Hey, I, <laughs> no offense. That's the most disparaging comment anyone said about you today. They, uh, they do. The answer to that is a very broad and a certain yes. Cool. Um, it's not quite the same in the sense of sleeping, um, so to speak, but it's the same idea that trees, um, they have just evolved to do, to do certain things in certain places. So if it is a tree that is trying to, uh, rather if it's a tree that is literally up all night because it's just blasting away, uh, at, um, the, at sunlight. So let's say you just like put it in a room where there's always light growing on it and mm. the trees don't like take a break and come back off. A lot of times you can see trees essentially just grow themselves out where they use all their energy or they, they expend, um, they expend all their energy and they, they don't save as much as they need to. Or um, they get in a situation where they are um, they they get out of sync with what they normally would do, and this again goes back to the fact that everything has rhythms. The circadian rhythm. I think I was reading this uh, or listening to a, a podcast. I think it was an ologies, mm. and they were the the ologist was saying that the 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 circadian rhythm they're like it's not just sleep it's literally everything it's it's when do you eat when do you you know get up you know all these individual things that happen as well as all the different stimuli that come come in and affect you so for trees they are constantly paying attention to the weather the moisture in the air, so the humidity, they're paying attention to the, um, the, how long the days are and how, how much, how warm it is for how long on any given day. I have to, I always like, yeah, that, that is a, a metric that constantly throws me where I have to like say it very specifically. <laughs> that was one of my favorite fun facts was that you, you mentioned early on that some tree we're taught, we were talking about knows when it's the, See, I, I see. I'm gonna. I, I don't even know how to form the sentence. <laughs> yeah, it knows when it gets the max amount of sunlight that it will get for that season or something, and it like it knows when to bloom because it's yeah. like, oh, yesterday was like the coldest it's gotten or exactly. something. Exactly. They call them um, uh, degree days, where it's X amount of days where the temperature was at a at or above a certain degree. Right. That is then when trees and plants, that's like one of the biggest things that trees and plants like pay attention to. That's cool. And so it's also degree days, but it also has to do with the the temperature where they're literally sensing how hot or how cold is it outside and how much light has been on and at what angle the whole day. Mm. So, and a lot of people have done this. This is um, the phenology is the, the term used, which is the... Um, the general study of um, when plants do a thing or when uh, animals kind of more broadly do a thing. 
And so they study this and A, they see changes and they can study and manipulate things if they put them in a greenhouse. So that's how we know some trees just won't shut off. Some plants won't shut off. Sure. Because um, they're given constant yeah supply exactly constant supply and they're just like ah and they literally like use all of their resources and they don't save any so the circadian rhythmness of things to kind of get back to the question is a tree that is growing and is growing let's just say here in portland it's growing it's having a great time in the early spring everything's wet the temperatures are moist but not too hot and they're just like sweet i'm having a great time they're pumping out the energy and they're growing really fast those trees then at the first sign of it getting too hot will shut off these little um, holes. There's pores in the leaves called stomata. Mm. And those stomata have these guard cells that just open and close and they say, well, how much how much oxygen and or carbon dioxide am I taking in based on or in balance with how much oxygen do I need to send out? Because oxygen inside of a leaf is really toxic to it. Hmm. So they like, how much oxygen can I get rid of and how much carbon can I take in and how much water am I losing during this whole process? So that's what they're trying to really regulate. So if they are regulating themselves, they're taking in X amount, they shut those cells so they're not losing any water, then they, they keep working, but then they're probably more storage and doing all these other things because they, they can't do certain, certain stuff at certain times. So if they are focusing all their energy on building or getting energy from the sun, then they are storing that energy. Then the dark equation, so to speak, um, is essentially taking all that energy and using it during the nighttime. So they're always constantly storing stuff, then using it, their stored stuff, and then building up more storage. The idea is that in any given year, the storage that they actually don't use is way bigger than the storage they use every single night. Mm. So it's a it's essentially the the rhythm of how trees go is what they've been designed to do for a long time. So when you throw that off either by moving them to a different habitat or to a more tropical place that has light all the time rather than or rather light all the time all the same as opposed to the big seasonal changes that we have it'll throw the tree off. If you move them and keep them lit all the time you can actually trick them into blooming really early. So the rhythm will affect how the trees function. And if they get that rhythm off, then it throws everything off. And then they're just kind of out of sync with the, the perfect balance they have with the rest of the entire ecosystem they're growing in. It's very interesting. Yeah. So I'd say, yes, they do require these things, especially to be as healthy and work as appropriately as they are designed to do. Wonderful. Thank you, Allison, for your question. If you have a question for Casey about trees, Email us at arbitrarypod at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at arbitrarypod. That's A-R-B-O-R-T-R-A-R-Y pod. Or you can support this little podcast that could on our Patreon, patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. Join the Arboretum to get two bonus episodes a month. Uh, Or you can join the Cone of the Month Club to get a unique die-cut cone sticker illustrated by an independent artist sent to your mailbox every month. That's pretty cool. That's a real cool one. This uh, this month, Alex, we're sending out the Don Redwood yeah, man. of last month. Love it. Yeah, it's really fun. And what, what do we call it? Uh, a bunch of lips. Yeah. I love that description. It's a bunch of lips. By, makes me happy. By Kristen Best. Uh, hey, that last name is appropriate. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Shout out to Kristen. Case, we made it. We did it. We got through another one. How? No one will ever know. No. 
But here we are. I'm having a great time. I am here. Yes, and I'm having a great time with you. I'm happy that we could share some time. You've been alone for so long. I know. I've been inside basically alone for almost a month. Yeah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get through it. You're you're on your you're on your rise, I hope. I'm getting there. I will be. Yeah, by the time we get to next month, it's gonna be a whole different thing. That is a stupidly optimistic statement that I will be on the rise. Hey, no, <laughs> we must. We must have that. Uh, Lord. Alright, well anyway. <laughs> uh thank you so much for listening to this episode of Completely Arbitrary. We'll see you next time. We're gonna see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Completely Arbitrary is produced by Alex Croson and Casey Clapp. Our artwork is by Jillian Barthold, and our music is by Aves and the Mini Vandals. And you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash arbitrarypod. And find additional readings at completelyarbitrary.com. Thanks for listening. 